0: Well, I want to welcome all of you that watch online. If you're ever in Tarrant County, I hope you can come personally to one of the three campuses of the hills Uh, this weekend. I'm live at the South Lake campus, so I also want to give a shout out to all of you at North Richland Hills and at West Fort Worth. It's been wedding season for my family lately. A lot of dear friends are seeing their children get married and so You cannot help but reflect on that time in your life. In fact, Jamie and I this month celebrated a significant anniversary. And so I was recalling a part of our story that I don't know I've ever shared with many of you. You see, Jamie and I met and began to date after I had already begun preaching. So I was out of school. I had a job. She was still in school Uh, after. About eight or nine months of dating, we recognized this relationship is probably heading to a marriage. And after about a year, we knew, and it was time to let our folks know. Now, my parents lived east of Dallas. I think all I did was just call them on the phone and say, Hey, we're going to get married. They had been fasting and praying about this possibility ever since they met Jamie. They were praying to God that she would say yes before she found out what a knuckle hood I was. So that worked out well. But Jamie said I needed to go in person and ask her father for her hand. Now, I want every young man who is not married listening to me right now to pay attention. Don't do what I did. I pushed back. I said, why do I need to ask anyone's permission to get married? I've got a job, I'm a young adult, you're a mature young person, we don't need permission. I'll go and tell them that we're getting married, but I don't need to ask. Oh no, she said, you need to ask. And so as we're going down to San Antonio to meet her parents, this is going on back and forth. And so finally I proposed a solution. I said, here's what we'll do. If at the meal tonight your father asks me to say the blessing for the food... In the course of the prayer, I will say, and God, thank you for bringing Jamie and I together because we're going to get married. Now, that wasn't a big risk because let me tell you something. When you are a pastor and you go to almost any kind of social function, you get asked to say the prayer. So I thought my odds were in my favor. So sure enough, we get there. We sit around the table. Her mother was a wonderful cook and I'm excited about the meal. Her father turns to me and says, Rick, would you say the blessing for our food? So we bowed and I said, our dear father, and about that time, I felt a vice like grip on my knee cutting off all circulation to the bottom part of my leg. It was clear that someone at the table was not focusing on the Lord. And I took this as a sign that perhaps I should not go through with my plan. So I just thank God for the food and the hands that prepared it. And later that evening, I did what I should have done all along and what you should do. And I asked her father if I could become his son. See, here's the thing. It's very possible to misuse prayer. It happens a lot. But the irony is the greatest misuse of prayer is the lack of use. Of prayer. So, in this final message in the adverb verb series, where we've been using James as a template to search for verbs to add to our faith, because we've said from the beginning that Christian is a noun and it's not an adjective, and nouns need verbs, you might think, well, you don't need to tell us to add prayer. I mean, every Christian knows that you should add pray to your list of faith. Verbs, But here's the reality. We Christians affirm prayer. And if someone tries to take the privilege away, we defend prayer. We promote prayer. We advocate prayer more than we actually pray. We love to love prayer. More than we love to pray. But there is no equation for healthy faith that subtracts prayer. But when is the best time to add it? James gives us the answer in chapter 5. Start with me, verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So we've looked at some powerful verbs. We've looked at verbs like love and submit. And it's been, a, I think, a strong series But I want to finish with this, because pray is the all-time verb. In other words, when is a good time to add pray to your faith? The answer is yes. There's no bad time. It's always a good time to pray. When you are happy. When you are sad. When you are sick, when you are well, when you have need, when you have all that you need, you should add prayer. It is not our last resort. It is our first response. Look with me at what Paul says in Philippians 4. You don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about Everything. And everything means everything. You tell God what you need. And you thank Him for all He has done. When it comes to prayer, Nike has the best strategy. Just do it. James says we should lay every moment, every emotion, every circumstance of Our lives before the Lord. And here's why this is so important. Here's why pray is the all-time verb. Because the big battle has always been about self-autonomy. What the tempter said to the first man and woman in the garden is, You can be like God. In other words, you can be autonomous. You can be your own Independent being who needs no one or nothing. Prayer is God's gift to us to rebuke and to resist the hellish lie of self-autonomy. Look at what the Hebrew writer says in chapter 4. Let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne Where there is grace. There we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Well, what does James say? Pray all the time. Why? Because there's no time when you don't need grace. Where could you not use some more grace? When could you not use some more grace? We don't pray because there's nothing else we can do. We pray because there's nothing better we can do. Do you remember our friend Daniel in our last series, Life Hacks? When it became against the law to pray to his God. Do you remember his response? It's my favorite verse in the whole book. Chapter 6, verse 10. Three times each day, Daniel would kneel down to pray and thank God. Just as he had always done. He was an all-time pray guy. He didn't save prayer for a crisis. Daniel was laying every moment before the Lord. And James reminds us that people like Daniel and people like Elijah were just like us. They didn't make a difference because they had some special gift or some special anointing. They made a difference because they stayed and they prayed. And that's why James tells us to find the Daniels and the Elijahs around you and pray. He specifically mentions calling on your elders to pray for you. Now, why does he do that? Because elders are just like us. It's not like their position somehow makes them closer to God. No, we go to elders because these are men who are always trying to stay close to God. That's why they have that position. It's not like you become an elder and then you become a person of prayer. No, you're a person of prayer. That's why we asked you to be an elder. So James says, go to these men and let them Help you. In fact, the next time we have a season of looking for more elders, I would encourage you, as you think about people, to ask this question first. Do they spend time with God? Joseph Stoll was the president of Moody Bible Institute, one of the most famous seminaries in our country up in Chicago. And they had some students that were from the underground church in China who graduated. They got their degrees. They were going to go back to China to serve in the underground church. And Joseph Stoll, in his pride, he admits now, made the mistake of saying, well, I guess that you have an esteemed degree from such a prestigious school. You'll go back to China and they'll want you to be leaders in the church. And they looked at him rather confused and said, no, we will go back. And they will listen to us pray. And then they will determine. If we can be leaders. In the church. See we employ. Many verbs. After we pray. But we shouldn't employ any. Before. We pray. Because pray. Says so much more. Than we might realize. Let me share quickly with you. Three things prayer is saying. First. Prayer verbalizes the worth of community. Notice that James, and this is important. I want everyone to listen to me. Okay, West Fort Worth, North Richland Hills, everybody listen to me. James just assumes if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of a local church. He just assumes that. He doesn't say, hey, go find a church so that you can know some. He just assumes you're a part of a church and you can call on some elders. He just assumes. That community is one of your priorities That you have a spiritual family You can count on Now here's why Now I believe in prayer in the closet Every one of us needs to have time every day Where we get in the closet and pray But there are times Where you need help getting to Jesus Right? Remember the story in the Gospels Where the guy was lame And his friends took him to Jesus And laid him down through the roof Sometimes you're just in a place in life Where you need some help to get to Jesus, especially when you're struggling with some sin. James says, let's get real. Let's stop pretending. There's just times in your life where you need to get with some brothers and sisters and confess your sins and ask them to pray for you so that you can get better and stronger. Disciples don't Grow in the darkness. They grow in the light. And so you see, prayer verbalizes the worth of community. Did you notice that every pronoun that we read in the Lord's Prayer was plural? I think that's important. The disciples didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to witness. Teach us how to study the Bible. Then Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay. Our Father, not my Father. Give us bread, not give me bread. Forgive us. Lead us not. Deliver us. Do you hear what Jesus is doing when he's teaching us to pray? Jesus is reminding us no one is an only child in the family of God. And so when you talk to the father, you need to mention some of his other kids. Uh, Howard Hendricks is a well-known professor from the Dallas Theological Seminary and also for a time was a pastor of a church in Dallas. And he said, we had a problem. We, we had a class of junior high boys, and no one really wanted to teach them. And, and this one young man volunteered, and I thought, oh, he would be a terrible choice. He's got no giftedness. But that class just took off under his leadership. It just had a revolution, and, and Hendrix was stunned. And so he, he had the young man over for lunch and said, what are you doing in that class? And that young man got out a black book. And on every page was a picture of a boy in his class. And under every picture were notes like... He really has a hard time in arithmetic. He comes to church every week against his parents' wishes. He wants to be a missionary, but he doesn't think he's got what it takes. And he told Pastor Hendricks, so I pray every day over my boys. And I cannot wait for Sunday to see what God has been doing in their lives. Prayer verbalizes the worth of community. Listen to Paul again. Remember now from Philippians, he's writing from prison. He's in jail. He says in chapter 1, Because you are praying for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ is helping me, I know this trouble will bring my freedom. Notice the Spirit's working. I know that. But it's not the Spirit alone that gives me confidence. It's your prayers and the Spirit that are going to bring my freedom. I wonder how many people in our church might be in bondage for this reason. We're not praying for each other. Maybe you have too much pride to admit your struggle Maybe we've been too detached and not close enough, but we've got to do something about that. We are all a kingdom of priests, the Bible says, and the job of a priest is to intercede for someone else before God. We are a kingdom of priests, but now remember, a kingdom has a king. And that's the second thing that prayer verbalizes is the truth of sovereignty. Now, there is a kind of prayer that does not need to be added. In fact, it needs to be subtracted. Because prayer's purpose is not to get God to surrender to your will. Some of you that are sports fans will recognize this picture. This football player is named Fran Tarkington. Great, great NFL quarterback. An all-pro. He played in three Super Bowls. Now, recently, he wrote an amazing article in the Wall Street Journal criticizing athletic prayers. He said, I prayed hard before every Super Bowl God would let us win. I prayed when we played the Dolphins and we lost. I prayed when we played the Steelers and we lost. I even prayed when we played the Raiders and I knew God's got to let us win. The Raiders, they're, they're, the, they're evil. Everyone knows the Oakland Raiders are evil. And we lost. And then I began to think, He said, Before almost every game, the coach would get us all together. And most of us were vulgar-tongued, lived immoral lives, drank way too much, but we'd always have a prayer. And we'd always pray for victory and pray that we would honor God and we'd say amen. And then we'd all yell, now let's go blankety-blank those blankety-blankers. And you reflect on the sheer hypocrisy of thinking prayer is a tool to... Bribe God to get what you want. See, prayer is not about getting God to surrender to my will. Prayer is a deliberate act of surrendering my will to God. What did we just pray a moment ago? Look again. May your kingdom come. And what you want be done. Here on earth, as it is in heaven. Here's the amazing thing. God, who is totally sovereign, often makes a sovereign choice to get what He wants done through the prayers of His children. Remember again, Daniel and Elijah. God told through the prophet Jeremiah, I want the captivity to last 70 years. After 70 years, Daniel starts praying. Why does he do that? God has already said, this is my will. But he understood when the sovereign God has announced his will, he wants to partner with his children to pray for it to happen. Why did Elijah need to pray? God had already said, I want there to be a famine. And then later God said, I'm going to send rain. So if God has already decided, why does uh, Elijah need to pray? Listen to this principle. The sovereign God makes the sovereign choice to partner with his children to accomplish his will Through their prayers. And so we pray, God, do what you long to do. Your kingdom come. May what you want happen. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we know exactly what God wants. Like when it comes to freeing people from sin and darkness. I don't have to wonder if it's God's will that lost people get saved. We've had a lot of people come to Jesus here. I don't think it's a coincidence that every week the elders of this church are praying over those cards you turned in early this year for your one. Every single day, your ones are getting prayed for by elders. We don't have to wonder, is that God's will? Hundreds of you have joined me in praying during Ramadan for the Muslims around the world, different nations. And every day we get our emails and I'm praying like you. And I don't have to wonder, God, is it your will that Jesus be made known and that revival and the gospel come to these nations? And so sometimes we don't wonder what God wants done, especially when we're praying for the lost. And sometimes we don't know. What God wants to do, especially when we're praying for the sick. I've seen amazing healing miracles in response to prayer in our church in my years as your preacher. And I've preached many funerals for people who never got better, although we prayed so hard that they would. And we live with this tension. God still heals. But not everyone. We know that God can show His grace over sickness. And we know that God can show His grace in and through sickness. Last week I mentioned Joni erickson Tata, the wonderful Christian author and uh, speaker who's paraplegic. And so many people have prayed over Joni for healing. But Joni writes and says, I was healed when I embraced the will of God. So you want to add pray to your verb list. And sometimes you know exactly what God wants. And sometimes you're not sure. So what do you do when you're not sure what God wants? You pray. That's what you do. When you're not sure, you just go ahead and ask. Lord, I'm not sure what you want here, so I'm going to tell you what I want. Let me just promise you, God's not going to get confused. Your prayer is not going to paralyze the sovereignty of God. So you just go ahead. When you're not sure what God wants, you tell Him what you think is best. But then you also ask God. To want what he wants. And can I be real honest. There have been times. When if I looked my heart. And got really really authentic. I don't sure I wanted what God wanted. Sometimes I have had to pray. God. Help me want. To want. What you want. Help me get there. And Jesus helps me here. Jesus practiced what he preached about prayer. There were times we know in the garden where Jesus wrestled with what God wanted. Look at John 12. Jesus said, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. That's a great prayer. When you don't know how to pray, when you don't know what God wants, glorify thy name is the first word to speak. And until God speaks, you haven't heard the last word because prayer verbalizes the myth of impossibility. Some of you have heard me say years ago, I spoke in East Texas, I'm on the road, I've never been on before, and I go through a little town in East Texas called Little Hope Texas. I'd never even heard of this town. And I got amused when I saw a sign pointing down a dirt road and an arrow pointing down that road said, This way, to Little Hope Baptist Church. And I thought to myself, they may be some of God's sweetest people, but they need to change the name of that church. I do not want to go to the church of Little Hope. Jesus said, when you start your prayer, you do this. Our Father, who art in heaven. What's he doing? Jesus is teaching us that we are talking to a God that is not bound by earthly realities and limitations. It's what the psalmist said in Psalm 115 Our God is in heaven. He does what He pleases. God is not bound. God is not limited. God is not held captive to any earthly reality. That means that the way that things are does not mean that is the way things have to stay. The resurrection of Jesus tells us there is no stone God cannot move. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing lies outside the reach of prayer except what lies outside the will of God. So ask and ask big. The reason we can pray is because even though we were sinners, the Lord Jesus came and shed His blood and died for us. We needed a Savior. And by that death, we have gained access into the very throne room of God. It is because of Jesus' blood and the righteousness that He gave to us that we can even talk to God. Now, I am not going to squander the privilege of access to the throne of God through the blood of Jesus by praying Puny and pitiful little prayers. I'm going to ask you something big. And you should too. And so one of my all-time favorite illustrations, I haven't told in a while, happened in 1995 in Mobile, Alabama. Paul Harvey was my source. And a young mom with her three-year-old boy pulls up into the parking lot of a grocery store and she gives him a little talk for the guy out of the car. Now, Mama's got to go in and get a few things for supper for Daddy. We're not doing big shopping, and I'm not buying cookies tonight, so don't start with me. So she takes him inside, puts him in the cart, and they start going up and down the aisle. Well, eventually, they go down the aisle where his heart's delight is. Mama, can we get some chocolate chip cookies? Don't start with Mama. I told you we're not doing that tonight. She goes around the corner. Mama, can we go back and get some chocolate chip cookies? Don't make Mama have to stop and spank you right here in your store. We're not doing that tonight. So she gets in line to check out. Evidently, the little fellow thought, this is my last shot. According to Paul Harvey, he stood up in the grocery cart and says, In the name of Jesus, could we get some chocolate chip cookies? And evidently, the people who heard him were convicted or amused because that young mother went back to her car with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies. Listen to me. I don't want us to learn in heaven of what could have been on earth if only we had asked heaven for it. Paul says God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. You know why? Because ultimately, you see, praying is saying God does verbs. Boy, that's good news, people. Isn't that the message of the cross? Isn't that what we're just saying? We can be saved because God does verbs. God gave. God loved. God sent. Jesus offered. Jesus bled. Jesus died. When it comes to salvation, All the verbs belong to God. What verb do you need God to add today? God does verbs. Is your spirit wearied? God does replenish. Are you dealing with shame? God does forgive and cleanse. Are you sick? God does heal and God does peace. And so you need to ask, but better yet, you need to ask someone to ask with you. So this week I want to do something a little different. On every campus, I'd like everyone to stand up, please. We're just simply going to obey the Bible. What does it say? Call your elders to pray for you. So I'm going to ask now on every campus, will the elders take their places in our auditorium? And we're going to have a little bit longer season of worship. And your elders, I know we're a big church and no one is ever going to know all the elders. But I want every member of our church to get to know an elder. To know there's someone ready to pray for you. And they want to pray for you if you're dealing with sickness, if you're struggling with sin, if your spirit's just tired, if you're dealing with fear, whatever it is. They're around the room now at every campus at our church. North Richmond Hills, West Fort Worth, they're ready. And you know what? They're ready to talk to you about salvation. How cool would it be to get baptized by an elder? Well, let's do that. So we're going to have a season now after I pray where we worship. And we're just going to obey the Bible and ask our elders to pray for us. Because God does verbs. So, Father, we ask now in the powerful name of Jesus that You would infuse so many right now who need community and need corporate prayer To overcome their fear, their timidity, and just come to their elders and together walk into the throne room. God, I I just pray that a culture of prayer will take over our church. That it will be normal every week for people to stand in line to receive prayer. From their elders. And so God. We're asking now. In Jesus name. Taking advantage of the access. His blood has made for us. For your spirit to move among us. As your people. Seek your face. We pray this in Jesus. Amen.